See, when you give your one life to the one thing that is true, and you know that that's Jesus, you are entering in the journey of life stewardship because it belongs to Him. And we've been talking about life stewardship for the past month or so. It's been an interesting beginning to the year, hadn't it? I mean, yeah, today is, is Super Bowl Sunday, and I know we'll all be praying about 4 o'clock this afternoon that the Rams are taking it to the Patriots. I'm sorry, uh, I digress, I digress. Um, but I mean, the snow falling on a couple of, of weekends and just the, the polar vortex coming down and the government shut down the longest in history and uh, some people got back pay, but we know that contractors and small business people and restaurants and all those, it just changes the climate in the city financially and that's uh, true for churches too, and so I'm trying to think of God, so why are we preaching on stewardship on such a weird month? But you know, God's got a plan. You might say, Pastor, really, you're going to preach about money when we still have a, another potential shutdown, looming ominously, creates fear, creates stress. And so you want to talk about money? Absolutely, because we need to deal with that fear and that stress. It has become apparent to me over the years, very obvious, I think most of us are aware, stress that people carry over their finances affects every part of their lives. So when we talk about the stewardship of our lives, our time and our talents and our treasure, I will tell you that the one that brings the most stress into people's lives is learning how to be a good steward of what has been entrusted to them materially. And there's that word, right, materially. We think about the word materialism, and uh, those of us who've, who've lived a little longer, uh, most of us have learned that, you know, that's just not where the answers in life are, but we are burdened by that whole materialistic tendency that we know that our culture really emphasizes. We see it in our kids. We see it in our young people. We, we are burdened for them. We know that we've uh, been a part of that, that journey and, and creating that in our culture. It's, it's, a, it's a stressful thing to think about and reflect on all the finances. A lot of us are burdened by the educational debt that young people carry today, and we think, how are they ever going to make it? I mean, how, how do you get a down payment for a house? How do you save for that? When you're, when you're carrying all this debt from school, it's, it's really a, a stressful thing. And so we thought that today as we came to the end of this study in life stewardship, that the best thing we could do would be to talk about God's plan, God's financial guidance as we glean that from the Holy Scriptures, from the Bible. As we've been talking about life stewardship of these three areas, time, talents, and treasure, and today we come to the treasure part, we want to say, God, what's your instruction for that? And you see, if you're on a note page, and I encourage you to use that today, because I'm going to be going too fast to, to, uh, for, for most of you to write that down just off the top of your head. So you might want to grab your note page there. And there's a verse right at the very top, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You need to know that. Again, if you, if you take one thing away from the sermon, let's just start with that because you need to understand you can try all kinds of other things, but until your heart is clued in, until your heart is healthy in regards to your possessions, you're going to be 
facing an uphill battle and lead to a downhill place. That's just how it goes. And so I really encourage you, this ought to be one of your memory verses. And many of us, that you forgive me, I'm quoting it in King James because that's how it was taught to me many, many years ago. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Nothing is more important when it comes to stewardship than your heart. Your stewardship, if you resolve this issue in your heart, then you're going to be well down the road of managing your life stewardship well and your finances well. So today, we're going to review together some of God's guidance for a healthy heart in regards to our treasure. Some habits that, if you were to read them in a magazine, might be called habits for financial freedom. That's the way we tend to talk about things today, or our financial success, or joy, or, or, or what peace and financial peace you hear us use that terminology. For some of you, this is going to be review. Some of you are walking down this road. You've been walking down this road for years, and you are good, and you're at peace about it. And if that's you, let's just say praise the Lord, amen, because that doesn't happen automatically. That happens in a life lived for Christ with biblical guidance, with God's Spirit and God's blessing. It's important to to resolve. So even if you've heard it before, I hope that this is a, a blessing and a celebration for you. There are others among us who are still struggling with the implementation. How do we put this into practice? Some are new and say, really? There's a financial plan in the Bible that applies to me today in the 21st century? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And I know, I know that here's the truth of the matter. You never, how many of you, I'll just ask, how many of you just accidentally your financial life got better? You know, it's just not, one of the ways we talk about this, we say that almost always spiritual drift is in a negative direction. Drift, if you're just drifting, uh, very few good things, it takes purpose. It takes intentionality. And God has a financial plan that he's revealed. And I love the way Tom Holliday talks about it. He says, you know, there, there are about five things. And he says, kind of like the Olympic pentathlon. The pentathlon, of course, is this competition where you have five events. Now, you don't have to win them all, but you better be pretty good in all of them if you want to win. You can't say, I'm great in two, and the other three, I'm going to lay out and think you're going to meddle. That's not how it works. And in a financial plan, biblically speaking, you say, oh, well, I'm really good at this one, or I I really, I give all my attention to, to number three. It's going to have great difficulty in working out for you. It really is one of those things where it demands our involvement in all five identifiable biblical important steps for our finances. So so don't run into the trap of saying, well, I'm great in this one. I'm going to ignore that one. Know that we need all five. And so what are the five that I see coming out of the Bible that we might talk about today about God's financial plan? Here's the first one. The first one is to keep track of where you are. Keep track of where you are. That's the first habit that you need to develop. You might say, really? I thought you might, the first step might be earn more. (laughs) Listen, if you don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it's going to, it doesn't make much difference. I know people that haul in well over six figures and are drowning in debt, just absolutely drowning in debt. So be aware of where you are financially. Keep track of what's going on. Proverbs 27, 23, and 24. Riches can disappear fast. 
Okay, see, now you guys, you've been in white church too long. When I say something like, riches can disappear fast, amen. Say, people say, can I get a witness? You say, yes, yes, riches can disappear fast. So watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and herds. Now, most of the time in a church today, I could say, how many of you own flocks and herds? And I could safely know that the answer would be zero. But I got Bob Alfred sitting over here with those alpacas. And, 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 and so, so I, and, and what I'm going to say, you know, instead of, most of you, instead of flocks, you got stocks. So stocks and herds, okay? The stocks and herds today. We got houses, not herds. But we have this, we have this stuff, right? You need to know what you've got. We got things that we manage financially. You know what we call that? Stewardship. The things you own, the stuff you've got, what you do with it, that's the practice of stewardship. And to understand your stewardship, the first thing you've got to understand is, what am I managing? What do I have responsibility over? And that starts by keeping track of where you are. Now, see, what I know is already I've got some people who are tired. Boy, that was more financial stuff than they were ready to deal with today. Who wants to keep good records, by the way? I mean, it's just, it's just work keeping track of stuff. Uh, you know, and, and, and a lot of us start the new year in January with great intentions about this, but most of us don't make it out of January with the intention still intact. Sometimes people use a written ledger, those old school. Some folks got a couple of different computer programs. Uh, maybe you've downloaded some apps to your phone, uh, whatever it is. If you're not using them, they don't do you any good. It doesn't matter what the format is. No matter the system, it takes a little bit of work, but it's worth doing because it's the first start, step of a good financial plan is knowing where stuff is coming from and going to. And here comes, I'm going to give it to you for free today, right? That's what those advisors always say. This part I'm going to give you for free. One of the best pieces of advice you can get about keeping good records is find the thing that fits you well. Find the thing that, do it the way that fits you. Now, the reason I've got to say that is, I don't know how some of you others are, but when I, when I go to manage stuff on my phone, I'm usually on there for a couple minutes and I'm saying, hey, Callie, come here and help me. I'm getting my 20-something to coach me on how to use my app. That's not where I do my finances, you know. Now, I've been using a PC since I was 22, so I'm, I'm pretty good on a PC, so that's where I do my management. You do what works for you. Some of you, you keep really detailed records. Jonathan guy, where is, where is he? Jonathan, when he does stuff for the church, he takes a picture of the receipt with his phone, and it goes to Kelly right away. Oh, not me. That's not how I work. You know, people have different strokes. Some of you, I know you. How many of you, well, I won't even ask you to raise your hand because it's a little bit embarrassing. But if you got, a, you got one of those drawers at home or the file folder, Either file folder or drawer, we just keep dropping stuff in. And oh, yeah, it's kind of like recipes. Oh, yeah, I know where it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, but, but, you've, but if it works for you, if that's your system, hey, start with what works for you. That's really, really important to get an understanding of where you're going. And here's what you need to know. Look at Proverbs 23, 23. Get the facts at any price. It's worth it to know what's happening. That's Bible. 
Understand what's really going on. So what do you need? He says, get the facts. What facts do you need to know? Four facts you need to know about your finances real quick. You need to know what you own, what your assets are. You may just need to write that down. Some people call it net worth and all that stuff. You don't get fancy with the language. You just got to know what is it you own. The second thing you got to know comes real close to that. Just change one letter. Know what you owe. Know what you owe, right? Know what you own, know what you owe. What your liabilities, your debts, where, where do you say, I don't want to say this too loudly, but do you have credit cards sitting at home, that bills that you haven't opened yet? Because you know it's the post-Christmas credit card and you're a little afraid to open that statement. See, you, you got to go ahead, rip it off, right? You got to rip open the envelope. You got to look at it. You got to know where you stand. So, you know, the next time you have a snow day, the next time you have a, uh, a fur, let's hope you don't have any more furlough days, right? But if you've got one of those, you say, what do I do? Understanding where your finances are. Know what you own, know what you owe. The third thing you need to know, and this is going to surprise you, I think, know what you're earning. Now, see, some of you are thinking, know what I'm earning. Well, I know exactly what my paycheck is every two weeks. Yeah, you'd be surprised. A lot of people have a general idea of what they make, but then they forget. Well, now, see, now, wait a minute. Now, is that before, is that before they take this out? And, that, and, and, and they lose track real fast of what's going in and what's going out. So you got to know what you earn because that will influence so much other of your information in the long term. When you say you shouldn't be spending more than 30% of what you're bringing in, on your housing, if you don't know what you're bringing in, it's going to be very hard to identify that number. And so you need to, you need to understand what you're earning. And the fourth thing you need to know, know where your money is going. Know where your money goes. Now, hear me on this. Not just where it went. That, that's a little late. <laughs> you, you want to know where it's going. The smartest thing Dave Ramsey says, you know, Dave Ramsey is the author of Financial Peace. It's a course that we offer. We'll be offering a, a new round of that in March. Be watching for details uh, of that. But, but the thing that really caught my ear the very first time I ever did that course, he said, if you don't tell your money where to go, somebody else will. And that is exactly right. If you don't tell your money where to go, somebody else will. So you need to know where is it going and is that where you want it to go. So that's the first thing. Keep good records. Okay. Step number two in a financial plan from the Scriptures is to plan your spending. Plan your spending. Ecclesiastes 5.11. Here's the plan that most of us use, I think. The more you have, the more you spend, right up to the limits of your income. Man, that's a brilliant plan, isn't it? The, the, the Bible should have, it should have used some prophecy and called this the American plan because this is rampant uh, in our culture. Matter of fact, statistics actually show that a lot of Americans go beyond that plan. They, 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 they have a lot, but they spend it and oftentimes right past their income, and that's how you end up with consumer debt. And sometimes folks have massive amounts of that. Many people spend 110 120% of their income. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that you do that for long, you're going to be further and further in debt and deeper and deeper in trouble. And it's happening to too many people. I've said it before, I'll say it again. There's a, a, another word for debt, and that word is prison. It is a prison. It is a mental, 
spiritual, emotional, and financial prison. Beware of debt. So plan your spending. And God has a little wisdom test. Are you feeling up for a wisdom test? Going to check your wisdom level today? How's your tank doing? Proverbs 21.20, foolish people spend their money as fast as they get it. How are you doing so far? You know, it's just a great check for all of us. You spend their money as fast as they get it. It's a struggle for so many of us. I mean, you get it, you say, oh yeah, I've got this to take care of, that to take care of, I want this, I need that. And if you don't have a plan, you're going to do exactly what that verse warns about. It's human nature. If I have it, I spend it. So that's a dangerous place to be. I want, I want you to hear me again on this. This is, this is, this is uh, counterintuitive to what a lot of the world will tell you. Financial freedom is not determined by how much you earn. It is not. There are people who make whatever you make. There are people who make twice as much as you who have financial burdens and who are in debt. There are people who make three times what you make. It, it's absolutely astounding what indebtedness means. And so financial freedom is much more often determined by how you spend than about what you earn. One guy said it this way. He said, our problem is that too often our yearnings exceed our earnings. And you know that the word yearning means a, a want. A want. You're not talking about need, our yearnings. And so too many, when our income goes up, we immediately jack up our spending. Beware. When you find people who are financially successful, who are good stewards, you'll discover that they were living at a certain level and they got a raise. They didn't need to change the spending. Now you change how you invest what you're earning, but your actual out-of-pocket consumer spending, you're already living on that. Keep living on that. And otherwise, you're going to find yourself always with financial stress. So get a plan. Proverbs 21, verse 5, plan carefully and you will have plenty. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. Now, how the Bible that was written and Proverbs, which was written somewhere around 1,000 B.C., how they could have so much wisdom about impulse buying 3,000 years ago, I have no idea. It's only God. But that verse describes, again, so much of what we deal with. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. In America, we call that impulse buying. You know, you go into a store, you're going to go in and get some milk, you're gonna, but you know, they put the milk all the way in the back. And on your way to the milk, you see this chip and that thing and this thing. And next thing, you got a cart full of stuff, but you went in to get milk. It's even worse when you get home and you still don't have the milk, but you got all the other stuff. It's just crazy. And, and, and what a day to be talking about this, right? The Super Bowl. Why do they spend all those millions on Super Bowl commercials? It's because they want you to get down on your knees and pray and say, God, before I make this purchase, I want to know if it's in your will and if it's really a need or if it's, no, 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 no. They show those that, they want you, they don't even want you to watch the rest of the game. They want you to go online and order stuff now. 
They want to get your wanter revved up and rolling. If you act too quickly, you'll never have enough. Have you ever seen a commercial that at the end, you know how they do this real fast? You know, this, this person is not available, blah, 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 blah. Have you ever heard them say at the end, please, before you make a purchase of this item, pray about it, think about it. Do you really need this before you act? If it's there, they're playing it at ultra high speed and ultra high frequency because I've never heard it. They want you to buy now, now, now. People go into Costco to get groceries and come home with a trampoline. How does that happen? It's impulse buying. It's what it is. And here's, here's what we have to do. This is kind of like AA. If you really want to deal with this, the first thing you have to say is, yeah, we're all kind of susceptible to that. Now, everybody may have a different area, you know. I got a brother-in-law who loves technology. He has to stay out of Best Buy or it might just consume him, you know. Now, his wife can walk in and out of Best Buy a thousand times and not buy anything, but when she goes into a Michael's, or, you know, something like, and she's got a great creative decorating mind. Everything she, you know, that's just who she is. We all have different areas, but most of us, we've been conformed to this world's way of thinking far too much, and impulse buying really drives us. So what am I saying? Plan your spending. If you don't have a plan, Satan's got a plan for you. Uh, people who want your money have a plan for you. And uh, I just want to say to you, if, if this is hitting any bells for you, be sure you talk to Pastor Paula today about what's coming up, groups that are talking about finances, opportunities to learn. You don't have to go through all this stuff alone. There are opportunities to learn from others and to learn to walk more faithfully. Let's get to step three very quickly. Step three in God's financial plan, remember, you've got to have all these, not just pick and choose. Number three, save for the future. Save for the future. And you do that in part because it's a mark of maturity. The Bible says it's a sign of wisdom. Proverbs 21, verse 20, the wise man or woman saves for the future. It takes wisdom to make a good decision about saving. And maybe you, you, know, maybe you need to put that on your, on your mirror at home when you get up, it reminds you. Or maybe you need to put up Proverbs 13, 11. I love this verse. Money that comes easily disappears quickly, but money that is gathered little by little will grow. I was having a conversation with a young parent this week talking about 529s, and I said, you know, when you save for your kid's college education these days, you don't have a choice. You, you, you better be doing something because e even a state-funded education is not nearly as affordable as it used to be. And I don't care if it's $10 or $50 or $100, you need to be regularly, weekly, monthly, whatever it is that work fits your plan, making contributions, little by little. That's the money that grows. Your retirement grows, not by taking your whole salary this year and putting it in. Who can do that? That you can't, you got to live on, on part of that. But if you start saving from the time you begin earning, folks, it makes all the difference in the world. Parents, if you haven't taught your kids about IRAs, I certainly hope you have, but you, you should be. All right, we got to get them started because the world they're facing, if you think our world is tough, I think the world they're facing is going to be even tougher, little by little. Save for the future. Here's step four. Here's the one you've been expecting me to talk about all day. Give back to God generously. Return to God. And I say return because that's what we're doing. The Bible says it all comes from Him. 
Now, we talk about this, people know a word, they talk about tithing, and in the Old Testament, uh, that's what it is, tithing. A tithe is not translated give. Tithe means 10%. It's, it's what the word means. Oh, I tithe 10%. Okay, don't, don't be redundant. <laughs> you tithe, uh, it's 10%. That, that's the way it works. It's the definition of the word. But see, in the New Testament, it goes beyond that. And it talks about how we're to give, I love this word, generously, sacrificially, and, and too much over-concern about a percentage figure rapidly falls away when you know that those are the terms. You remember the story, right, of the widow, right? She gave the one, it was just a, a couple of cents, but it was all she had. And, and the Bible's message in the New Testament is more about your generosity. Where are you investing to see a difference? How are you being obedient? Are you giving in a way that gives honor uh, to God? There are a lot of us who've heard about tithing and generous giving. There are fewer who practice it in full. Some are still learning. So what does the Bible really teach about all this? Now, why do we give this tithing thing so much airtime? Well, it's Malachi 3.10, isn't it? If, if you're a Bible student, you know this is the verse that grabs so many. God is, himself is speaking, and he says, bring the full amount of your tithes to the temple. Put me to the test, and you'll see that I will open the windows of heaven and pour out on you in abundance all kinds of of good things. And so when he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, into the temple, that's that 10%. Whatever God has given to me, I'm returning to him 10% as a way of saying, I honor God. I put him first in my life. He's asked for this, I'm giving it back. Now, here's the question I often get, why 10%? And you know what the Bible says about the why? Yeah, me neither. It doesn't really say why 10. I mean, he's God, right? He could have said 40. He could have said 70. <laughs> For some reason, he chose 10. He talked about the tithe. Don't really know why. The New Testament is so much easier. It says that 100% of it belongs to God. And from there, we, we work on, you know, what, what is he calling us to do with what he's entrusted to us? The Old Testament, he talked very clearly about 10. And here's what I know after, good gosh, how long has it been now? Close to 40 years of studying and preaching the Word of God and teaching the New Testament and teaching about giving. Here's what I know about 10% even for New Testament Christians. 10% is enough to give most people a great challenge spiritually and materially. I mean, if I find somebody who doesn't have any trouble releasing 10% to God, here's what I know. They probably know how to release it all to God because getting to 10% is almost as hard as getting to where you know it's, it's every bit his. Even though the Bible says clearly, I love this verse. My wife pointed this verse out to me years ago. The Bible says, you have nothing. Think about that for just a minute. You have nothing that you have not received. In other words, he's saying, if God hasn't given it to you, you ain't got it. If you got it, you got it because God gave it to you. So beware this clutchiness, this clinginess to material things. 
And for all of us, it really the question is, God, I'm, am I putting you first in, in my finances, in my time, my talents, and my treasure? And I, I got to be honest, God is pretty smart, amen? Yeah. You think God knew that we would struggle with this? Yeah, I think he knew. I think we knew that he knew that we would say, wow, 10%? I got to give 10%? And it's very unusual. That Malachi passage that we were looking at earlier, he said, bring you the whole tithe into the storehouse. Remember the word he uses? Try me or test me in this. How many have been taught it's dangerous to test God? I mean, I mean, I, that was one of the things I learned as a boy. Oh, you don't want to be, you don't want to be, you don't want to be trying. I don't know. And so when God himself says in this, you can test me. Wow. This is the only place I can find in the Bible where he actually says to do that. Now that ought, that ought to clue us into how important it is. God is saying, you can depend on me in this. Deuteronomy 14, 23, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. So when you hear preachers or teachers say, God's not interested in your money, God's really interested in you, we didn't come up with that. God said it right there in Deuteronomy. Oh yeah, all the way back in the Old Testament. He said it's really not about the money. When you tithe, it shows that you're putting God first. Wow, that's huge. And then Jesus talked about it. People sometimes will say, well, tithing is not in the New Testament. I'll just stop talking about it. Well, here's what Jesus said in Luke eleven forty two. Yes, you should tithe. <laughs> so when people say he never talked about it. Now, this is a modern translation, I understand. But he says, yes, you should tithe, but you should not leave undone the more important things. That's what Jesus had to say about tithing. It's not just about giving 10%. Of course, he was talking to, I know we don't have anybody like this in the room. He was talking to legalistic religious people. <laughs> you know, there aren't many left in the world today, but there are a few. So for those few, if anybody happens to be in the room, understand Jesus is not after you to go home today and, you know, pull out the exact numbers and, you know, get it down to the, you know, little decimal point, blah, blah, blah. The question really is, how about the more important things? Are you giving your life? to God, time, treasure, and talents. And, and then there are the other crowd. I love the other really religious bunch. We say stuff like this. Don't you find, pastor, that people who are worried about tithing, they're just all legalistic? Uh, you know, I found very few legalistic people who love Jesus enough to tithe. Most of them are trying to find rules that will allow them not to give themselves to God. So, I, you know, in my lifetime as a pastor, I don't think I've ever run into anybody who really had a problem with the legalistic tithing in that same kind of spirit that Jesus was addressing with the Pharisees when he spoke in the New Testament. So, uh, and let me just say this one last part, because I get asked this question a lot for practical reasons. People say, well, pastor, I'm in debt. Should I be giving to God regularly, generously when I'm in debt? Well, it is true. You, you can't give God somebody else's money. There's no credit in that, okay? But if you have a plan for getting out of debt and you're living on a certain amount of money, your giving to God has got to be a priority for you. Because here's the truth, isn't it? We need God's blessing on our finances. And what God said in Malachi is, do this, bring the tithe in. 
and see if I will not pour out a blessing. And I'm always cautious about sharing this kind of testimony, but, but, but it's true, and I've talked to many people over the years, most, many of us who've had this kind of experience will say something like this. So let me not be too specific, but just kind of touch on it. The truth of the matter is, I found it easier to be out of debt when I was faithfully obeying God in every area of my life to the best of my ability, including finances. And you might think, well, if I don't give God his 10%, I can use that to get out of debt faster. Yeah, you know what? It just rarely works like that. When you're really obedient and following God, he's blessing. When you're using all five steps of the financial plan, God's, it's easier for God to bless you. So let's look at step five, and we'll wrap up. Here's the fifth and final part to the plan, and this surprises a lot of people. Enjoy wisely. Enjoy wisely what God has entrusted to you. I love this verse, Ecclesiastes 6.9. It is better to be satisfied with what you have than to be always wanting something else. Oh, I tell you, there's a message from Montgomery County, Maryland. <laughs> it's an easy one to violate, right? We can own that, to get caught up in wanting the next thing, this better thing. Hebrews 13.5, be content. Be content with what you have. Start there. If I can't enjoy and be content with what I have, I'm going to be doomed by this constant desire for more, and it probably means I won't be walking in any of the five steps, much less all of them. Enjoy what God has entrusted to you. And one of the best ways to do that is simply this. You might say, oh, do I need to throw a party so I can show that I'm enjoying what God's given me? No. Here's a great way. You bow your head and you say, thank you, God, for what I've got. It, it's, it's not what I've always dreamed of. There are some things I think that I'd like, but truth be told, I'm grateful, grateful for what you've given. Wow, that's how you enjoy what you've got instead of being bound up in the pursuit of other stuff. That's God's financial plan for our lives. These five, these five pieces held together, held in, in balance, are a financial pentathlon for you and me biblically. Now, I'm going to close with this thought. God not only gives us this kind of five-piece plan, but he also gives us some clues about the process, the order for how this works in our lives. You see, because tell me if this doesn't sound true to you. The human plan is usually like this. We earn it. We spend it as fast as we can. If we have anything left over, we repay the debt that we have over in the corner. Um, after that, if there's anything left after that, we might save a little bit. And then if there's still something in my wallet or in my purse or whatever, I might throw a little bit in the plate when I go to church. That's the human plan that a lot of folks follow. But here's what God says. God's plan is reversed, you know, not entirely reversed, but very much reversed. He says, first you earn it. The very next thing you do is you, you tithe on it. The first fruits is how the Bible refers to that in the language. The very first thing you do is give God. You, you get it all from God. The first thing you do is pay God back, return to God what's his. And when I say pay him back, understand the spirit of that. You're never going to pay God back for all he's blessed you with. But that's what the Bible is saying. Give back, return to him. And the next thing you do is pay yourself. You ought to take some percentage of that and put your savings in. So you start with earning, then you go to giving, then you go to saving, right? 
Because if you don't have savings, every emergency that comes up is going to send you back to the poorhouse. You need to have an emergency fund. And you're going to go further in debt, so you don't want that. Step four, you repay your percentage of your debts. And then five, you're, you're living, you're spending, and you're enjoying because that's how you're managing. You're managing your plan. So you earn, you give, you save, you repay, and you're enjoying that. You be content with that. Brothers and sisters, folks, guests, members, you do those things. You're going to have more than a super Sunday. You're going to have a super life because where your, oh, say it with me, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if it's healthy finances, it's a healthy heart, and we honor God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for practical guidance from your word on this topic. Um, We live in a a world where ridiculous sums of money are are talked about and bandied about and spent and earned and lost and gambled and wasted and invested, and uh, we see the good, bad, and the ugly. We know that money is not the root of all evil. We know it's the love of money that gets us into trouble. That's what your Scripture says, so we pray, O God, to make our love fire burn for you and let money be in its proper place as a part of our ongoing discipleship, as a part of our life stewardship. And as we close this today, God, it would be wrong of us if we did not say, thank you. Thank you for all you've given to us individually. Thank you for what you've given to us as a church. Thank you for the beautiful building, for the great opportunities that it supports and provides. Thank you for what you've provided. Thank you for the stewards. Thank you for the folks who practice generosity. Thank you for the folks who will take the time to teach and coach and mentor. Thank you for folks who will be honest about their struggles and say, I I need help with this. Thank you for folks who have a desire that says, I want to honor God with my life with my time, my talents, and my treasure. May it be so by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.